Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Rimel, registered nurse, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. During her podcast, Krista will interview experienced and successful healthcare professionals on outside-the-box health topics. During their time together, they will have in-depth discussions with trusted medical and health and wellness leaders to discover what they do to stay well using traditional and non-traditional health practices. Experts will share not only what, but why they practice the holistic lifestyle medicine they do and the science that backs their less than mainstream ideas. You'll hear the real and relatable personal health struggles of healthcare providers and what rebelling outside of the traditional healthcare system did to better their lives, careers, and health. Tune in to listen and learn the mind-body-spirit practices from conventional health experts who share hope and inspiration from honest stories of healing while reflecting the scientific-based evidence to wisely guide the inner rebel inside you. It's time to rebel and be well. Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I would like to introduce our audience to you by sharing a bit of your bio and your background. Mariah Rooney is a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in treating the complex challenges that arise as a result of traumatic stress, attachment trauma, intergenerational trauma, and disassociation in children and adults. She is also an adjunct professor in the School of Social Work at the University of St. Thomas and Winona State University, and a consultant with the Center for Treatment of Developmental Trauma Disorders. As a previous fellow at the Trauma Center at JRI, she received extensive training in trauma and supported various project and research efforts. Additionally, Mariah is a registered yoga teacher with extensive training in trauma-sensitive and culturally informed yoga and meditation practices through Warriors at Ease, Prison Yoga Project, Insight Prison Project, Mind Body Solutions, and Trauma-Sensitive Yoga. Her writing and research has explored post-traumatic outcomes among combat veterans with histories of interpersonal violence, trauma-sensitive education, as well as outcomes among traumatized youth in an outpatient setting using a sensory-based intervention. Along with Mariah, we also have Mark Schneider. Mark Schneider is a creator of LIVIT, a comprehensive behavior and habit change program, and personal trainer specializing in injury recovery and return to play. With a 20-year comprehensive background in functional medicine, nutritional counseling, body work, fitness training, and behavior therapy, Mark supports clients so they can support themselves, empowering them with the skills and confidence to overcome physical, emotional, and habitual roadblocks on the road to success. So Mariah and Mark, thank you for taking time to join me today on the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I appreciate your time. I know it's a hot commodity these days as you're both very busy professionals and individuals. As the point seeks to provide new opportunities and outlets for people to process and release past and current stressors and traumas, I was elated to find both of you and trauma-informed weightlifting. We believe movement and exercise is medicine, but not just for the body and equally as important for the mind. Stress and trauma take a mental and physical toll on well-being, and Mariah and Mark have created new programs, workshops, and tools to resolve these common modern-day occurrences. They continue to research and explore this new, how this new concept can benefit patients, clients, health and wellness professionals, and even healthcare professionals. I look forward to learning more about both of you and your training and being part of the workshop ahead at the Self-Esteem Brands headquarters in February. So I'd like to start by asking each of you, and I'll start with Mariah. Mariah, can you tell me what drew you into social work and then specifically addressing um, the concerns around trauma and stress in individuals? Sure. First of all, thank you for having us. It's really exciting to be here talking to you. and It's been so fun exploring our conversations and thinking about bringing some of our work to the Self-Esteem Brands crew. My journey in to social work looked a little non-traditional, if you will. I was in a different career path and had um, decided to to do some studying in, in various approaches to trauma-informed yoga. Um, and was teaching in different settings, in, uh, in a incarceration setting, in uh, community treatment, in rehab, 
and was really enjoying that work. And particularly when I did a, a deep dive into teaching and doing some research out of EA, wanted to find a way to go deeper in the work and also wanted to go deeper in the work with a with a real commitment to taking a social justice approach to whatever it was that I was I was going to do on that journey. And so um, I started by studying East-West psychology mm-hmm. and then transitioned into social work and was finding ways to bring those various interests together um, with the ultimate goal of working with with folks who had been experienced, you know, a large amount of oppression and marginalization and further harm as a result of systems that kind of continued to beget trauma. And um, I, I, I didn't know how to go about doing that work without being really attentive to and attuned to and drawing in the body into that work, mm-hmm. which is how you know, I got to where we are today in this work. And Mark, how about you? What drew you into the various things that you're doing now? One being uh, one of a co-facilitator, co-leader of the trauma-informed weightlifting program. I would love to say that my path was as intentional as Mariah's, but listening to her story, mine doesn't sound as intentional. Um, I started 20 years ago, and to be honest, I think I started because I just happened to be good at doing what I do. And I said mm. yes to every opportunity that came up to me, um, in front of me. So I did a lot of apprenticeships. I've worked in retreat centers. I've worked in the jungles of Belize. I've kind of just traveled the world in order to learn all these pieces. And um, as I look back and try to figure out what specifically my talent is, I think the the one skill that I have that probably works from the trauma-informed perspective as well as through my entire career is I'm really good at listening. It's mm, a great for, quality. For whatever reason, don't know why I just have this skill, but I just am good at listening and it's paid off from a coaching perspective, working in clinical settings, working with the trauma-informed perspective and so on. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it just happens to be that I just for whatever reason, had that talent. Hmm. Mariah, can you explain to us what this concept of trauma-informed means? Can you translate for people who this is a new term for? Sure. The vague answer is it means a lot of things. And one of the things that we talk about and is a core tenant in our work for trauma-informed weightlifting is that to us, it means to do less harm and then to do good. And that Mm -hmm. a part of being trauma-informed means actively paying attention to the ways in which we continue to participate in harm um, by, you know, our implicit biases, by not being aware, by not being conscious, by participating in systems that cause harm in a variety of different ways. And that, you know, we start there because we recognize that we can set out on this trauma-informed journey with a whole lot of intentionality to say, I'm going to learn a lot about trauma. I'm going to learn about neurobiology and the nervous system and intergenerational trauma trauma and trauma treatments and all of these things. And that that is critical and necessary, very much a part of being trauma informed. And that if we start there without first addressing the systems and patterns and behaviors and different things that continue to re-traumatize folks or to traumatize folks or to um, exacerbate stress, that we are, we're simultaneously participating in that kind of colluding in that ongoing issue mm-hmm. while then saying, yes, and I, you know, but I've learned all this stuff about trauma and then I'm changing the way that I see things and approach things. So I say that because I think we, we think it's important to recognize those two pieces. What I would add to that is that, you know, there's a lot of trauma-informed principles that are pretty commonly shared in the field, right? Like mm-hmm. having a basic kind of foundational understanding of trauma, um, understanding all of the ways in which it can manifest, um, the disproportionate impacts of trauma, what it might look like in the body, mm-hmm. how to adjust both kind of the mindset or lens that you see things through, right? Mm-hmm. So it's this lens of, you know, what happened to you instead of what's wrong with you, right? Um, like, you know, your behavior or your body or something that's happening or manifesting here in front of me is telling me a story about some experience or experiences that you've had. Um, and that, that first, that mindset shift and that, that frame is really necessary. Um, and that also, it means doing something about it then, right? Mm-hmm. Like how do we support people, um, by taking a more curious and adaptive and responsive and inclusive response. And, and it can look a lot of different ways in different settings, whether you're in a gym or if you're in a healthcare setting or you're in a school, mm-hmm. um, in the military, 
Um, mm-hmm. And those adaptations look different. I think that are that need to also be culturally responsive. Yeah, you know, and in a time when I think almost all of us have had some form of increased stress. People have probably had greater degree of different traumatic events happening to them, especially in the time of the pandemic. I think there's there, there is this quickness to want to dismiss I've experienced any trauma. Oh, that's not me. Like mine's not that bad. And then I think there's also this kind of foreign concept around weightlifting, right? So people think of weightlifting in sometimes really unique ways. Like, well, I'm not a competitive weightlifter, so how could... Um, weightlifting benefit me. So for people who are kind of like, well, have I been through a trauma? Have I not? Um, I'm not someone who is maybe as comfortable lifting weights or not. So is this for me or not? Like, how would you address that? Like, who is trauma-informed weightlifting for? Who's really, can it be applied to? When the question comes up of what have I experienced a trauma or no, I haven't experienced a trauma, that's for the people that are going through or have experienced a trauma, that's part of the process of recognition. But even if we take a step back and remove the label of trauma and just look at manifestations that it may surface, higher anxiety levels, higher depression levels, difficulty sleeping, uh, physiological GI issues, um, all these different things that may manifest because of a invisible insult to the body, um, that may have been traumatic and may not have been traumatic, um, but the the manifestation is you know it's there. Mm-hmm. So if we take away the word trauma, and then the question is you know how is my tolerance level? How is my sleep? Do I seem to be very edgy? Do I seem to be highly agitated? Mm-hmm. And you begin to balance out all those factors, then we can begin to look at even though you may or may not define it as trauma it's the the symptomology is going to be simpler or uh, clearer. Mm -hmm. So then when looking at weightlifting and the application of weightlifting, we we chose the name, even though it was somewhat contentious to to settle on weightlifting, but we separated the word weightlifting. Like there's the sport of weightlifting and then there's the act of lifting weights. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we just categorize that as any kind of resistance training, then trauma-informed weightlifting or weightlifting in general for the purposes of trying to manage a lot of these uh, internal and external stresses are, it's for anyone interested in using that type of work. Mm -hmm. Some people may gravitate toward yoga. Some people may gravitate toward music. It doesn't, there, there isn't a, a clear category that someone, that everyone will fit into. And there's nothing particularly magical about any of those categories, including weightlifting. If you are interested in weightlifting, if you are interested in resistance, if you are interested in the exploration of physical strength and then uh, using it to generalize into the psychological, using Mm -hmm. examples that will teach yourself uh, that you can overcome physical obstacles Mm -hmm. that may be frightening at some point, but then you built up the tolerance, built up the uh, the ability to overcome it and then tell yourself, I started not being able to do this and now I can. Right. That is a very tangible example of progress mm-hmm. that weightlifting offers in addition to having, uh, using uh, resistance training or, or, or weightlifting also offers the ability to work against something. So mm-hmm. you have a weight, you have an external mm-hmm. resistance, you have an external stress mm-hmm. that you are able to manipulate. Uh, sometimes it, the stressor will win. Sometimes mm-hmm. the weight will be too heavy. Um, sometimes you will be too tired for a weight that you've done before. Mm-hmm. But then you can come back and you can overcome and the story that you get to tell yourself will change and it will evolve. The f- quick answer is trauma-informed weightlifting is for anyone interested in weightlifting for the mm-hmm. reasons that Mariah said uh, the trauma-informed component is good for all. Yeah, yeah. Coming in from a sense of curiosity and recognizing that that there's there's harm that's being done even though you're trying to do good. Yeah. And at the same time the weightlifting part is good for any or for all people interested. Right, right. What kind of light bulbs do you see going off for people as they're going through this training? One thing uh, is the the most tangible that that I have seen coaching has been the recognition of strength. 
-hmm. And one of the ways that in our training, we frame the idea of strength is strength is a product of trust. Mm. And so it's not only a product of like just physical muscles contracting and rebuilding mm. and so on. It's building the ability to trust yourself to make an attempt, trust yourself to potentially fail, mm -hmm. trust yourself to recover, trust those around you if you need help. Mm -hmm. So when you put all of those factors together, the concept of strength being the, large, the biggest light bulb that manifests uh, will manifest not only physically, but also psychologically, emotionally, mm -hmm. spiritually, however you, the person may frame the experience. So mm -hmm. the coaching aspect of it provides more context to that idea so that person can recognize, oh, I wasn't able to do this before, now I can, or, oh, I was uh, scared of coming into a group class and now I feel confident walking mm -hmm. into a group class. Mm -hmm. So it's not only the physical aspect, it's the, the, there's more to the experience, um, the consistency of it, the, the work of it, the recovery from it for those that feel more comfortable pushing than they do relaxing. Right. But recognizing the benefit of the relaxation, building the comfort on the relaxation and along those lines also play a factor. Yeah. Thank you. That's very helpful to understand that. Mariah, can I ask you from your standpoint, I know that you are also integrating this into healthcare systems. So what do you see evolving there as you start to use trauma-informed weightlifting? Yeah, we're in the very beginning stages of working with a healthcare system in the Boston area, developing a program that would support staff, healthcare personnel, um, with the goal of expanding the program out to support patients in the future as well. But you know, part of taking a trauma-informed approach to answer your early question is also understanding that systems are impacted. Mm -hmm. And so attending to kind of the collective nervous system of, of a system mm -hmm. is a really important starting point. And as you know, we all know our healthcare systems are completely taxed yeah. right now, um, yeah. beyond taxed and the level of chronic stress, toxic stress and trauma that is being held within these systems and, and all of these healthcare providers is I think unprecedented. And mm -hmm. so we're going to be working to offer, you know, through trainers who have been trained in taking a trauma-informed approach um, to work with healthcare personnel in that setting. Um, mm -hmm. And part of our approach there is also to recognize that one thing that happens with ongoing stress and trauma is that it's oftentimes a, you are in an ongoing state of survival, right? And people mm -hmm. sometimes need to stay in that mode of functioning in order to put one foot in front of the other to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. And so you know, disarming them of that, if you will, is not always helpful in the moment until they're in a place of more safety and yeah. stabilization. And so a part of what we're aiming to do is really recognize that, hey, this is this is kind of the situation that you're in right now. And we want to mm -hmm. support you in caring for yourself and your nervous system and having some experiences in your body um, that you are in control of mm -hmm. and and to be, you know, responsive in the coach trainer, you know, client relationship in a way that tells them like you, you get to really, you get to be the boss here, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and there's encouragement around listening to your body and doing work in a, in a, in a setting where there, there's very little choice right now. Things are happening to people, not with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so where do you see this going in the healthcare space? Like where, where do you see this growing? Mm, that's a good question. I, we, I mean, one, we would love to see, programs like this one replicated around mm -hmm. the country, um, supporting personnel and then, you know, expanding out to also support patients, um, and also, um, doing research. Mm -hmm. you know, we're very interested in doing research to learn, to continue learning and growing and evolving our work so that we know some of the unique factors that are helpful within healthcare settings, whether that's working with persons with with staff, with providers, or with with patients. Yeah, and you know, I'm thinking even just back to my days of, of you know teaching yoga and meditation in the VA and doing research there too. That there was so much that was important about kind of ongoing iterations of what we were doing to meet the changing needs of of the folks who were participating. And I think mm -hmm. the healthcare systems are going to continue to be taxed for some time, and they're going to continue to evolve. Um, mm -hmm. I think in the, the, you know, as the pandemic continues and then also in the aftermath of the pandemic. So how do we learn 
along the way and adapt things along the way to continue meeting those changing needs. Okay. During the training, and this is a workshop, right? It's not, it's, is that correct way to say it? A workshop versus a certification. It's more of an educational seminar where you're learning how to approach clients or patients um, in a more trauma-informed manner. What kind of content are you providing people during the actual workshop? Like, can you give us an example of maybe one of the seminars or talks that you lead and a couple of key talking points in those? Yeah, I mean, you could call it a workshop, you can call it a training. Um, We are working on building a full certificate program, which will be much more in depth right now. Our training is about 30 hours. Okay. And it's based on a few things. One, creating a foundational knowledge about trauma. And so we talk about neurobiology, we talk about the nervous system, we talk about the impacts of trauma and how they manifest in different ways. Um, a lot of education around, around trauma as like a foundation to the work that we do in in the training. And then we talk a lot about what does it mean to take a trauma informed approach as a coach or a personal trainer, or as a physical therapist or an occupational therapist with people with all kinds of different uh, backgrounds who come through the training. So what does that look like when you're engaging in programming, when you're mm-hmm. queuing, when you're you're working on developing goals with clients? Mark does a, a really wonderful deep dive into the coaching aspect of things, thinking about it from a relational perspective, mm-hmm. as well as some of the more kind of even the administrative type things. How do you mm-hmm. become more trauma-informed and thinking about the physical environment and space that you're in, mm-hmm. um, the music that you play? Um, the language that you use. So there's a lot of exploration in that realm as well. And then we introduce a variety of different concepts to try and help people better understand themselves. Because part of what is often missing in the training for trainers and coaches is a a lot of encouragement around understanding who you are as a coach or a trainer. Mm -hmm. Because we all know that in relation, no matter what kind of working relationship you're in, we all have stuff that gets poked at, right? That gets drawn yeah. out. We have certain kinds of clients or colleagues we have a harder time with. There's reasons for that. There are things that we need to do to learn to draw attention to our you know, implicit and explicit biases and like examining our approach and why do we think this way? I think, you know, being able to think about how we think is really important so that we can make choices instead of just reacting or kind of participating in a culture without being more discerning or examined about it. So we focus a lot also on developing more Mm self-awareness and self-attunement because that is also so important. We think to being a Mm -hmm. trauma-informed provider of any kind. Absolutely. So this uh, workshop that we're going to have in February at Self-Esteem Brand Headquarters is going to be the first in-person workshop that you've hosted since the start of the pandemic. Is that state? Am I stating that accurately? What do you find yeah, in true. the trauma of just being more isolated for people and, and when people are now starting to reconnect? What's, what's unfolding there? It's a timely question because I have started seeing um, clients of mine who are vaccinated in person again. And it's been really powerful and also mm-hmm. very intense. I mm-hmm. think I think our you're going to hear me say the words nervous system a lot because it's such a central part of our experience and how we move through the world. And yeah. I think our nervous systems are in a process of remembering mm-hmm. what it's like to be in the presence of other people. And some of what we learned during the pandemic is to brace mm-hmm. kind of metaphorically and quite literally against proximity to others, right? Mm. That like distance was necessary for safety. Mm-hmm. And so there's a parallel with trauma around that, right? That like yeah. oftentimes, I mean, sometimes trauma manifests actually by getting closer to the person who's harming you as a survival tactic, but oftentimes there's a bracing and a distancing and a break. And mm-hmm. I think we have collectively experienced what it's like to have that break and that mm-hmm. disconnect and our bodies and our nervous systems are going to need a lot of support around remembering mm. what is it like to be around other people? Can we remember it what it's safe. like to find, to be safe, right? Yeah. Or there may, it may not feel safe, right? And then what do we do if it doesn't feel safe or if it isn't safe, right? There, we're still in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. and how do we kind of stay present with one another and co-regulate in that to the best of our ability. And then on the other side of things, it has been so powerful. I mean, I've had clients walk into my office and just being in space together has been such an emotional experience for both of us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of gratitude for what technology allows us to do to stay mm-hmm. connected in all mm-hmm. of this. You know, there's a lot of powerful things that are happening because of that too. 
we need contact. We need connection. We need to be in shared space together. And there's yeah. a lot of things coming up for yeah. people. Fear, comfort, relief, terror. I mean, you name yeah. it, every, everything. Mm-hmm. Those first times of being back together in community. And we've, we've experienced that at, at our retreats. And we had one the end of August for healthcare professionals. And I asked that question in part because in our group of 25 together, the trauma that was released, even in the inter- their own personal introductions, as we were just getting to know one another better, was so profound. And I thought, you know, I kind of was projecting ahead to even in February, when we'll all be together again, that process of disarming ourselves of trying to keep distance in and of itself is a good release and a hard one um, of, of trauma for, in particular, a lot of people who've kept that distance. So I know it's really important for you and Mark to create this environment of safety, um, all inclusiveness and trust. And Mark, you know, Mariah, you just did a really good job describing how that is so important right now in the, you know, both literal and metaphysical space. But Mark, for you, you know, I know you are taking extra efforts in what you're creating right now to look at creating the most um, trauma-sensitive spaces physically. Can you tell me what that looks like a little bit when someone's in an, in, in an in-person training? How do you create that for people? Everything that Mariah said obviously is, is correct. And, but one thing that I have noticed is there is a natural, as much as there is resistance and fear uh, about getting back together, there is also a natural rebound toward that direction. Mm-hmm just that for a certain degree, like we use the concept of nervous system, co-regulation and regulating each other's nervous system is something that we are probably physically built for. Like Mm -hmm. the nervous systems, it's not that we have separate nervous systems. We are an interconnected network. The sooner, the closer do we get to someone, the more the connection builds and the more we co-regulate. So the more exposure that we get to people, even if it's from a distance, a smile without a mask on or feeling that comfort of being within physical proximity to whatever safety, uh, whatever that metric is for you, mm-hmm. then I think there's a natural rebound, uh, probably an overcorrection that's happening in certain areas right now. But uh, the gym itself, people uh, initially were were somewhat cautious. There was a handful of people that just were ready to go, and you know, part of that demographic was you know basically knocking on the door while we were closed. Right. And the the next demographic that that walked through was cautious. And what was interesting was they were more worried about feeling ostracized for wanting to wear a mask while working Mm, out. Sure, sure. So it's like feeling out from that perspective. But once they walked into a gym, and it's the same fear that people have walking into a gym, no matter what, is everyone's staring at me. Mm -hmm. And the reality is no one is staring at you. No one's paying attention to you because they're all worried that someone's paying attention to them. So everyone's just very self-involved in that moment. The, The larger gym space has been actually pretty well received in regards to how people come back into the space. Um, They do find corners, they create space when they need to. And I'm speaking Mm -hmm. specifically about my clientele within the larger gym space. Um, They ask for help uh, a little bit more. They don't come during busier times, so they manage their schedule a little bit more. Um, The space that's right now being created that I'm breathing in the fumes of right now, the focus of this one is to have my, my philosophy on space is you are building an active relationship with the physical environment as well as other people. Mm -hmm. So there is a conversation that's happening between you and space. Mm -hmm. You create the space, but then the space creates you. Sure. And so what I wanted to build was a space that took away as much underlying stressors as possible. So Mm -hmm. the lights are going to be factored so that they're not that harsh and that your body doesn't have to process harsh lighting. The sound buffering is going to be probably a little bit overkill, but the goal is to remove as much echo Mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. The sight lines have to be very clean so you can see anything and everything at all times. No trash is allowed on the floor because I don't want any 
question of what is that for those that have histories, especially right. military histories and PTSD with um, unknown things laying around on the floor. Sure. The language is... Uh, in regards to the marketing is more carefully structured, even the contract agreements, so that someone knows what they're actually signing mm -hmm. um, and all, everything along those lines. It's just take away as much ambiguity that the brain is probably unconsciously processing and mm -hmm. wondering mm -hmm. so that the person can focus on their particular goal, mm -hmm. whatever that goal might be. And it's not a... It's not a gym that's built for like easy work and being super chill and calm. Like this is, a, I've got 2,000 pounds of iron coming in. I've got uh, machines that are 900 pounds each that are massive. And mm -hmm. when you sit inside of them, you feel like you're being coddled, but you have to work. So yeah. strength is the goal of this space. It's just I want to take away as much other distraction as there is on an unconscious level so you can really lay into that strength. Yeah, yeah. So that can be your focus without all of the other noise pulling you right. away. Yeah. Right. That's a fantastic concept. I, I've, I'm not very from. I mean, I have not heard of this occurring in very many gyms, so I think it's brilliant. So what I, before, as I was putting this concept together, I started looking through the literature in design, architectural design, um, interior design, lighting concepts, and so on, mm -hmm. and PTSD design within architectural and city planning and so on is, it exists, mm -hmm. but it's so minimal. But the concepts are the ones that are actually build people love the space mm -hmm. it's a nice inviting calm open space that someone can walk through without feeling agitation without feeling like they have to look over their shoulder right um, there's openness but at the same time there's containment and all mm -hmm. these factors that are coming together are really fascinating that it it it's a very tiny part of the design world, but I just started looking through the literature and just pulling out concepts that I can manifest inside the gym right? and, and using that to, to inform everything from the colors to the lighting, to the level of echo, to the decibel level that I'm willing to accept and so right. on. Right. So it can really truly be a healing safe space for people. Correct. Whether they're recognizing it or not, you, it, it, they just walk into it and it is. Right. I want, yeah. when someone walks in here, I want them to breathe differently because the air is actually different. Mm -hmm. I've got live plants coming in. I have like four or five live walls. Um, mm. All of those pieces that create nature within the space. And that's not a new concept. You mm -hmm. know, biophilia was, I think, E.O. Wilson introduced the concept of man being. Uh, more comfortable in nature, man as a species, right. being more comfortable in nature and trying to bring concepts of nature into man-made structure mm -hmm. has been around for decades. It's just it doesn't play out that often, especially in modern architecture where the, the user is not the focus right. of the build. And that's the, the slight variation that I pulled on this is like, how is the end user, the my client, going to feel mm -hmm. on every step and when they look in whatever direction they're looking at? What do they mm -hmm. see? What are they experiencing? And if you center the client, then the design actually kind of makes itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure you came across the data on the few hospitals that exist globally that have incorporated nature and other elements yeah. of, you know, creating more healing space and it reducing length of stay in the hospital. So, I mean, it's profound, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's statistically significant in those settings. And so the same concept could apply to any place you're trying to heal in a particular healed trauma. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Mark, could you share, and I'm going to ask Mariah the same thing. Could you share a, a client story where you saw a trauma-informed approach create better success, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually for an individual? Can you just share a story about that? Like what that looks like tangibly and just a very general, I mean, obviously no names, no like super specific details, but just, yeah, high level, like how that looks how that looked to use a trauma-informed approach for a client you were working with. 
Sure. I, the Trump, I mean, part of it is that we've created this program, and so uh, I've been using the trauma-informed approach consciously and unconsciously for 10 years of coaching. Um, what I have noticed is the difference in recovery for those that are coming in with injury, mm-hmm. uh, be it physical injury, any, like TBIs, um, chronic concussion, broken bones, uh, long-term arthritis, and yeah. using the trauma-informed approach of uh, being curious about their symptomology, actually yeah. listening to their experience, um, having a client tell me that they go to a particular doctor, an orthopedist that looks at their knee and they give them a list of restrictions, mm-hmm. um, but they don't listen to what is the client actually trying to do mm-hmm. in their life. How mm-hmm. are they trying to live? Mm-hmm. Are those restrictions problems or are those restrictions really going to influence the psychological aspect for that person? Sure. So then if there is room to be able to then figure out a way for that person to live the life they want, even if they are limited physically, mm-hmm. then that becomes the focus of our session. It's like if they're trying to use their legs to climb a mountain and they don't have certain bend in their knee, yeah. great, then we just find another way. We increase range in other joints. We accomplish what the client is asking for. Mm-hmm. And then we and within whatever physical limits may exist, makes sense. Makes sense. And in in part of that, does that help them then physically and emotionally release the trauma of whatever injury they're going through, so they actually can use muscles that they maybe somewhere in their mind had turned off that they were unable to connect to. I think what happens is if you. It's not so much giving ability, it's sometimes removing roadblocks. Okay. So if they are told they can't do, they can't bend their knee, therefore they can't run. Yeah. And then whatever that, that spiral that starts from them being told they can't, uh-huh. on some level they've already now created other roadblocks to other activities that they may want to do. And sure. so what I've noticed is by saying that there's a way of doing that particular act, yeah. it just may not be the traditional way. Yeah. But you can still climb a mountain, you can still ride a bike, you can still go skydiving, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. The the process of removing the roadblock of wait, it's still possible. It's mm-hmm. just not the same way possible. Sure. Um, that allows the question of releasing trauma, quote unquote. I don't, I, that one I, I can't speak to clinically. What I can speak to is suddenly they feel more capable. So it's reframing their story and letting them reshape it as, as best as their body and mind will let them. Correct. Okay. Mariah, how about for you? A few things come to mind. One is I'm working with clients using trauma-informed weightlifting in a few different ways. One is collaboratively with Mark, right? So we work as a team and working with the client and there's intentions set around um, the relationships that are held kind of in that Mm -hmm. person's care. The other is me just working with clients who happen to weightlift or are interested in starting weightlifting and then how can they use that to support themselves. And I can give some examples of that. And then, you know, the others for folks who are already working maybe with a trainer or a coach and then how to, how to do things like practice self-advocacy in those relationships mm-hmm. um, to talk about their needs. And, you know, some of the coolest things that I have seen is the translation of what happens in the gym into therapy and vice versa. Oh, sure. So some of what I find, so it, both in terms, like in terms of narrative, right? Like what are the stories that exist and that come up and are kind of triggered or poked at? How do we work with those? How mm-hmm. do we process those? And then the narratives that just inherently evolve as someone starts to have powerful experiences with their body mm-hmm. um, in a gym um, or feeling into their strength, their power, their um, their agency in that way. Yeah, And even that shows up relationally. I've had a client come back and say, oh my God, I, w- I sat my coach down and told him that he was making me feel really uncomfortable. Mm. And I told him that I really wanted him to take a trauma-informed approach because we had done some preparation for this sure. conversation. 
and felt really good. And then initially he was really reactive. And then we, you know, we, they worked through it. Yeah. The process of giving voice to their experience to not just going through the motions because that they were, you know, what I'm making air quotes right now, but that's what they were supposed to do. Right. Or what, right. what they're, they believed it was expected of them in that context of a relationship. I also do a lot of things like sensory motor psychotherapy and EMDR and other forms of trauma therapy. And so I've been able to bring embodied experiences in the gym in terms of maybe a certain movement is triggering. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, let's say a squat brings up, you know, visceral kind of felt memories of an assault. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. then we can bring that into the trauma processing and therapy and use that physical experience to, to access that, that feeling, that sensation, and then do some processing and some work there. On the other side, we use experiences of strength and grounding and resource and power in the gym as resource and therapy. So for example, you know, if I have a client who has identified a certain movement or experience in the gym as making them feel really powerful and agentic and strong, right. And in their body. And and I did this thing and I didn't dissociate, right. Right. Then we can translate that into therapy and use that as something that can generalize then and be accessed in both test stuff that we're working on in therapy and then out in the rest of their life as well. That's really powerful for you to be able to see it, you know, kind of from from both lenses, right? It has to just make mm-hmm. the dots connect so beautifully. And, you know, that's I'll really, say really cool. as a as a nurse, I mean, it's interesting when you think of healthcare professionals. So there's there's even a trauma in the fact that we understand especially those that are still on the front lines and in patient settings, that there's kind of this constant assault on, uh, on healthcare professionals' health, right? Whether it's physical with lack of sleep, lack of time to eat, lack of time to use the restroom, and then all of the other people around us traumas that we're constantly absorbing. But we cannot, in many states, have nurses, physicians, PAs, NPs cannot have a diagnosis of anxiety, of panic attacks, of depression, because if you are, your license could be at risk. So for a lot of healthcare professionals, I think the gym has become their therapy, right? And if you can find ways for people then to better process the traumas there, it's probably a safer space for a lot of people, but I'm just thinking of my own paradigm of, of healthcare. And I think for healthcare professionals, it could be a really safe space to process all that they carry because every single person working in an inpatient setting has something they're carrying that they need to probably work through and, and the gym being a great space to do it. I mean, the gym is completely my like mental physical therapy space. And so I think it's a a brilliant and beautiful way to combine processing um, both pieces that are incredibly important. So thank you both for sharing more tangible ways and relatable ways of how that unfolds and how that really looks. You know, this is outside the box, right? You guys are pioneering this. Um, It's something very new. How would you say that you are, people might perceive you as kind of a healthcare rebel in doing this? Like, is this a, a kind of a rebellious way of approaching trauma or a rebellious way of approaching fitness? Yes and no. I think in, ter- in regards to the healthcare piece, I, you know, I'm sure you see this all the time because of the space you're in, right? There, There is more of a, a move towards accepting more, um, I hate the word alternative medicine. To be honest, yeah. I really reject that frame. I think it's not they're, they're, just because it falls outside of the mainstream yeah. of Western medicine doesn't make it alternative, right? A lot of different healing practices that we label as alternative are in fact, incredibly historical, right? They're rooted in indigenous practices and Eastern spiritual practices. Like the history of this stuff is far older than, than what we recognize in our system. And I think we are tapping into that historical knowledge of the body needs to be central Mm -hmm. in the healing journey, right? And the connection between mind and body, you know, that we have culturally disconnected them when, when other cultures have inherently always understood them to be connected. So I think, I want, I think it's important to, to acknowledge that, that, that we are functioning in a system that is reckoning with a disconnection from kind of a truth, right? And a history in terms of bringing in movement and embodied practice into how we care for ourselves, how we foster well-being and resilience and also how we heal from really hard stuff. Yeah. Um, on the on the exercise side, in terms of being rebellious, absolutely, right? We're not alone. I mean, there have been people in this space doing really powerful work around, you know, like, for example, 
decolonizing fitness spaces and, mm-hmm. and making fitness spaces more inclusive and responsive and things of that sort that have been doing that long, far longer than we've been doing this. But yes, I think it's it's radical or rebellious, if you will, in that this is a culture that historically has really benefited from, for example, the trainer or coach client relationship being incredibly hierarchical. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of like drill sergeant boot camp mentality where you come in, I push you, push you, push you, push you. I know what's best. And then we're done, right? Or no pain, no gain, or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things that are rooted in things like fat phobia and body shaming and other harmful kind of rhetoric that is really connected to ways of thinking and being that are harmful to everyone. And we are trying to add, you know, be a voice and a kind of a contributor to a shift in the exercise and fitness world to say, this actually isn't helpful for anyone. Mm-hmm. And that if if we're going to kind of, you know, liberate ourselves, if you will, from some of these narratives that are really harmful and oppressive to everybody, then we got to do some work. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to, it's not going to bode well when people are making a lot of money off of those narratives taking a stronghold. Because if you're shamed around your body through images and diet culture and language and fat phobia and things like that, you're, you are more likely to spend more money. And we're saying, hey, There's a lot of resources out there that don't require that. There's a different way to do this. And so I think in that regard, yes. Yeah. Um, And it's so necessary. Absolutely. Very great points. Thank you, Mariah. Mark, how about you? Uh, I'm going to take a slightly different tact on it, and I'm going to stratify the industry a little bit more. Because even if you look at the medical industry, Mm -hmm. um, if you begin to then stratify that, you begin to see subcultures within medicine that are uh, recognizing, acknowledging, leveraging traditional methodology, things Mm -hmm. like functional medicine, integrative medicine, ancestral health, all of these different uh, subsections of medicine that are going into and looking at centering the body and the mind and the social relationships and so on, lifestyle medicine being another one. Within the fitness space, if you begin to stratify the industry, you begin to see that the gen pop fitness space, the big box type Mm -hmm. of space that relies on uh, people per square foot Mm -hmm. is very much the industry that Mariah was discussing because that is the true economy of scale and how do you build more and grow on that. But then if you go into smaller spaces where scaling isn't as much of an important factor and you begin mm-hmm. to look at relationship building and sports-specific gyms or something along those lines, you begin to see a lot of the tenants surface because the relationships are centered in the, in the experience versus the, the number of sessions a person would book or sure. um, the, the number of calories someone would burn. So I think, um, our, is, is the process that we're doing rebellious? I think it's rebellious in the sense of we're trying to implement it on scale mm-hmm. and we're trying to put it into a larger uh, setting. And so it's not so much rebellious about the, uh, against the fitness industry as much as it is about the economic structure that the fitness industry lives within. Sure. It's like, can we show that by... And, we can summarize the entire experience of being kind to people mm-hmm. and recognizing everyone is going through a human experience. Can we show an ROI on that? Mm. Can a mm-hmm. large, larger structure say, oh, we can still do our business and be kind to people? Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the direction that we want to move into is show that this is not a costly switch from from a business perspective is that you can do both. Right, right. Showing value in the softer science of a trauma-informed approach. If somebody wants to find out more about either one of you or trauma-informed weightlifting, where can they seek out more information on becoming a trauma-informed individual, um, practitioner, trainer, coach, professional, and or, you know, work with you specifically? 
So I can speak trauma-informed weightlifting. Um, the nice thing is the website is just that. It's uh, yeah. traumainformedweightlifting.com. We're also on Instagram. Um, same thing, trauma-informed mm-hmm. weightlifting is our handle on Instagram. Um, we have uh, we don't email often. So if you want to stay in the loop, Instagram or signing up for our emails on our website are the best way to stay in, in the loop around things that are happening when we make announcements. Um, and then for me, uh, my website is Mariah Rooney, L I C S W.com. Um, and that's where people can reach me if they're interested in exploring therapy or I do a lot of consultation with systems and with individuals and I work with kids and adults and then, um, do a variety of other projects, but those things are all on my website. Mm -hmm. So that would be a way to get in touch with me. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Uh, right now, the easiest, in addition to what Mariah said about trauma-informed weightlifting, that common Instagram, the easiest place to find me would be website at live it better, L-I-V as in Victor, I-T, better.com. Okay. Uh, eventually, my gym website will exist, but for now, uh, I don't know what the timeline is on that. So live it better sure. will link over if you need anything on that on that front. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And if you're interested um, in taking part of the trauma-informed weightlifting workshop at the Self-Esteem Brand Headquarters, which is February 17 and 18, you can go to the Trauma-Informed Weightlifting website and register there. And that's going to be more specifically geared for those in the health and wellness and fitness space who are coaches and or trainers. Uh, So you can find out more information about that workshop there. If you'd like to learn more about the Point Retreats, you can find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn handle and on our website at thepointretreats.com. Otherwise, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to Mariah and Mark for all of the really incredible information that you just shared in our hour together here. Um, You're obviously both very heart-centered individuals who are deeply passionate about um, this work, and I applaud you for that because it is needed now more than ever. So thank you for being very intentional in what you're bringing forward in this world. Otherwise, I hope all of you uh, listening today that our episode has inspired you to think about new ways that you can rebel and be well. You've been listening to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Ryman, registered nurse, founder, and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. If you'd like to ask Krista Rymel, or one of our past or upcoming guests, a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, that phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear feedback. Rebel and Be Well is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting, located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Point Retreats, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other organization. All medical issues, concerns, diagnoses, medications, and treatments must be managed by your doctor. We do not replace any clinician's medical advice or treatment. Join us next time for Rebel and Be Well. Thank you.